The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to our Lord. John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He, fa- he first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Yeah, it's, this is a great little gospel passage uh, for us. You know, we're, um, we're starting in on ordinary time. I don't know if you got my email. There's a whole long discussion about the translation of tempus per annum. It means time through the year. But we begin um, with really our first Sunday of celebration of ordinary time, having just come out of Christmas last weekend. Uh, so we're in, these, we're in these days, like default days almost, right? Because the way the calendar works in the church, you have seasons, have seasons of fasting and feasting, and then outside of that we have ordinary time or time through the year. It's, so it's kind of like default time. We're not preparing for fasts or feasts. Um, in that default time, what you will see is the theme of discipleship emerging. Why is that the case? It's, it's somewhat coincidental in the sense that, you know, when we, when we let go of, say, our immediate preparation or participation in feasts, then the default is discipleship. Why? Because the Christian life is discipleship. So it just emerges because it is what, say, ordinary Christian life is. It's what day-to-day Christian life is. It's discipleship. It's following Jesus. So anyway, this is a little kind of prefatory remark. We get, some, we get a, a, a passages from the beginning of the Gospel of John uh, today. And I think the first thing is to, to ask the more superficial question and get get a bit of an answer. There's all this, you know, uh, this word, and then that's translated as this word, and this word is translated as this, as this word. I think these, this is the telltale sign of firsthand accounts. Yeah, and this is, uh, we're, I, think we're, I think we're well within our rights to, to believe that. Uh, this is um, John, who is one of the first followers of Jesus, a very young man. He's probably in his late teens at the time that he meets Jesus. Um, and uh, he is recounting for us, or at least telling someone who's then writing it down, uh, what that first encounter was like. And so he's not, going, he's not going to forget those words. And he can't tell the story without giving some of the original, whether they're Hebrew or Aramaic words, along with their translation into the Greek. Uh, we don't get that because we get the English translation of the thing, but we get some of the, the back and forth of the, of the retelling of, of this particular account. I think it's significant that we, that we get the, the first-hand account of the beloved disciple here uh, because, of course, it, it's, it's love for John that penetrates the mysteries of Christ and reveals them to us. It's love for him that has, that has him communicate to us or to his audience 
again, the, the mystery of Jesus Christ so that we can participate in it. We can be won over by the love of God made flesh for us in Christ Jesus. And we, like he, like he does, we can follow Jesus on, on the way. And so we're, we're going to take up that, uh, that same position of discipleship as well. Okay. Now, the beginning of the gospel, it's, it's probably good to, to, to get the frame of the entire gospel, or say each of the canonical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all telling the same story. Yeah, they're all telling the story of how God became king, how God became king in and as Jesus of Nazareth. And th- this is a, a theme that I think we grapple with, or probably ought to grapple with, our entire lives. But, that, but that's, the, that's the theme of the gospel. And we, be, we begin knowing that this is the story of how God becomes king. And then we can look at it and go, well, this is somewhat peculiar, actually. right? Because w- when we think of God and his power and the like, we're going to say, okay, well, yeah, he, he is king. And the way that he uh, chooses to advance his rule in the world, uh, like, I would do it a bit different. You know, like, I would just come down and start rounding people up. And you know, it's like, okay, like, let's get people in camps. And okay, you guys go over there. You guys go over there. And it, and it would all be, can I say, relatively forceful. This is because this is just the way we live in the world. This is our understanding of power. This is our understanding of, of strength, of might, of rule, and the rest. And we then put that on, on Jesus. But when we understand that this is the story of how God becomes king, and we see how it happens, it's like, man, that is peculiar. At least it's peculiar to us. And, and it calls then for uh, a revolution to be affected in us to say, okay, I need to start redefining concepts around Jesus, who is the revelation of God, who reveals, who reveals man to man, right? In the sense that he is the truly human being. He reveals us to ourselves. That's how it should be. That's how we should be. Okay get bogged down in the, in the thing. Okay, when we say God becomes king, already the indication is, is here, Messiah, Christ, this kind of thing, okay? The idea is that he is going, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, is going to lead the renewal of Israel. And leading the renewal of Israel, Israel is then renewed to restore all of creation, to restore the entire world. I would say primarily human activities and, and endeavors and relationships and, and the right. I don't have a problem with hugging trees every now and again, but the idea is that all, all of human society is, is renewed. And of course, the renewal of human society catches up the renewal of all creation, right? So that such that we, we, we find ourselves to be stewards over God's good earth and not simply like uh, made to dominate over it and make it do what we want it to do. Okay, but this is all... Um, the renewal that, again, Jesus is affecting, that God is affecting in his Messiah and through his Messiah, so as to bring about restoration of all peoples. Okay, so that's, that's the story, how God becomes king, and what, what that looks like in the end. Now we look at in the, in the gospel how that happens, how he's going to make that happen. We can think to the end of, uh, say, Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew 28, the sending of the, uh, the apostles into the world, the sending of Jesus' disciples, where it says, go ye therefore and baptize all nations, baptize all peoples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying, go out and plunge them into the life of God. Right? So just as they have been baptized into the life of God, just as they've been plunged into the life of God, they're to go out and plunge the world into the life of God. It means that everything that, that they do, every, every human activity and endeavor they take on, needs to be inspired by love and have love as its goal. 
And then that same life that they're living is going to inspire others. I have to say, yeah, yeah. I've got, we, we're, I know, we're very close as a result of our shared fandom. You know, we're, I, I took a pilgrimage to Anfield just a couple weeks ago. That's where Liverpool play their home games. Yeah, and I want to say just one word, just one word about worship, because I know it's a 7.30 mass. I won't run too far afield, okay? It's this. There were plenty of, say, non-fanatics in, this, in the stadium the night that I went to see Liverpool play. Right? I was not. I, was, I'm, I am a fanatic. Okay? So, like, I study all the chants and the cheers and the rest, and I want to lend my voice to the celebration, to that act of worship, and, and all the rest. Okay, I understand. get it. There were plenty of people who were not in the same camp as me, right? But because of the worship of the, say, I don't say the few, probably the worship of the many, those who are not otherwise inclined to worship are caught up in it. They're swept away by it. How do I, I went with my dad right now. There are a lot of other loves there. He's not a, he's only a Liverpool fan because I'm a Liverpool fan. You know, you know how being a father works, okay? So he, go, he goes, he's, he's not studying the chants and the cheers and whatever, but he's caught up into the worship of the, that worshiping activity of cheering the team on because he's there surrounded by people who are worshiping. Okay, I want to say this. This is the dynamic of Christian life. Okay, so when we're worshiping the true and living God, and especially when we're doing it together, we see what God is doing to reanimate us and then to sustain us and strengthen us in, in the activity, and they want in as well. Okay, so just as we've been plunged in to the, to the life of God, so then we are going to plunge others into the life of God just by being who we are, just by being who God is making us to be. Okay, so that's what's going to happen. Okay. This is, but that's how Jesus accomplishes his kingship. How his kingship comes to bear in the world is by going out in search of disciples, finding them, and drawing them into the life of God. So just as he does it here, right? Like I said, he's not coming and rounding people up and pushing people this way and that way and you know, forcefully you know, advancing his rule. He's doing it by calling disciples to come and see where he is and then to imitate him, right? To live with him. He's doing that even now. That's how his kingship advances. That's how order and restoration is going to come to all of creation, the calling of disciples and our faithfully following him. Okay? That's how it's going to happen. How do we do that? I want to say just a word about, uh, about adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication because it's like the, the framework of, of good prayer, and we uh, grow into the life of God by praying, by praying and then being obedient to the call that God has on our lives. So the whole of our life is his. We're going to pray our way into an ex the expression of it. I'm going to go through it pretty quickly because we know the schema. Adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. I want to say adoration. Adoration, I'm praising God for who he is or who he's revealed himself to be. So sometimes I like to say, okay, I'm, Lord, I'm praising you. You are the God who washes feet. Okay, take any clip from the Passion especially, and you'll see the love of God for you. And you can praise God there. What, I, what I've been getting back to recently in my own prayer, and this morning is, is no different, is I am praising the God who is an eternal exchange of glorifying love. So God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is an eternal exchange of glorifying love. And I'm praising him. As soon as I'm praising him for that, I start to see that I'm not, all, I'm not that way. I'm not all in on it. I want to be all in on it. I'm not. I'm repenting then. This is contrition. I'm saying, I'm not, okay, Lord, 
but I'm looking at you and I know you're making me to be a reflection or an embodiment of your own self. So I can embody your own life of love. I'm repenting. I'm, this is contrition. I'm going for it as well, Lord, and you're going to give me the strength to do it. So straighten out my life to be an expression of your radical generosity. Everything I do, I want to be radically generous in everything, both in the pouring out of my, of my heart, my life to God in praise, and the pouring of myself out in his service. Yeah, so adoration, contrition, thanksgiving. I'm looking around at the playing field that God has given me, right? I'm looking around at, at that corner of creation that he's entrusted to my care, and I'm thankful for it. I'm going to, can I say sometimes, I'm going to will myself into being thankful for it, yeah, because I have to. Yeah, this, he, his whole life is thanksgiving. Jesus, before he goes to his death, makes the thank offering to God. He knows what's coming. His whole spirit is thanksgiving. He's breathing his spirit into us. So our whole life is thanksgiving and can be, thanks, at least gets to be thanksgiving. So we, with his strength, right, centered on Jesus, we're looking out at our corner of creation and, going th and being thankful for it. And also being thankful for the opportunities that we see to be an expression of his radical generosity. Yeah, and then, of course, we're seeing, like, where we might otherwise fall down on the job or where we don't have, at least what we think, we don't have what we need in order to faithfully execute on the task. And that's where supplication comes in, which is asking God for what we need. So we're going we're gonna to be, um, we're going to be petitioning him to give us the strength and the wisdom and the courage and the rest to live the life of radical generosity that he's called us to. Again, this is all in service of the advancing of, of God's kingdom, but this is our life of eternal meaning and purpose. Yeah, this is, this is what we were made for, my friends. We're made to be these rich expressions of God's radical generosity. And now in the power of Christ Jesus and faithfully following him, God will, will see it through to its proper uh, conclusion.